The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What is up? Welcome to episode 25 of the On the Farm podcast, a dynasty and prospects podcast Brought to you by PitcherList. I'm your host, Andy Patton. I'm joined by two special guests today, two of our shining stars on the Dynasty side. You guys know them. They talk frequently on Twitter. They are some of the best Dynasty minds out there. Joined by Trevor Huth and Shelly Vergstraight. We are going to discuss every single hitter on our preseason top 100 list, which turned into a top 157 list. So 157 players. We're going to talk about all the hitters who made their major league debut this year and how we think about them. So thanks for coming on, guys. Appreciate it. How are you doing, Trevor? Good. Happy to be here. Glad you asked me to do this. Um, yeah. A lot of uh, a lot of debuts, a lot of notable debuts. Uh, yeah. Which is going to make this kind of fun. Yeah. What do you think, Shelley? Uh, yeah, it was a crazy amount of debuts. I mean, I, I wrote the... I wrote about everyone who made their debut <laughs> this year. It was uh, it was a, kind of interesting a couple of weeks where it'd be like just so many players. But yeah, I'm really ready to talk about uh, just everyone. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you guys haven't seen, uh, we're going to talk about a couple specific posts as they come up. But Shelly wrote an article every Wednesday this season about every single major league player who debuted. So if you want to read about the top prospects when they came up, you can. If you want to read about the random minor league reliever that you'd never heard of who made their debut at 29, Shelly covered them. So you can find all of those articles on the Pitcher List site, and they were fantastic. All right. So we're going to start with Joe Adele because we're just going to get right into it. Obviously, Wander Franco was our number one preseason prospect. He did not make his major league debut this year, despite some people clamoring for him to come up. Uh, so first up on our list was Joe Adele, who was number two overall. Uh, Adele had a bit of a rough season. Uh, he hit 161, 42% strikeout rate. Uh, never really turned it on. There's a lot of prospects that we'll talk about later that we kind of saw struggle early on in the year and then kind of got better as the season went on. Uh, he really didn't, which was unfortunate to see, but uh, he's been a slow starter at other stops in the minor leagues and kind of come back around. He's still just 21 years old, extremely young for the major leagues. Uh, I'm curious. I'll just kind of throw to one of you guys and we'll kind of go from there. But Trevor, you want to start us out and just kind of tell what you thought about Joe Adele this year and if you have any differing opinions about him going forward? Um, I don't know that my opinion's too much different. Um, I, I'd like to hold out for a better season. That's the thing. I don't know how much stock to put into what happens with these 2020 mm -hmm. numbers. Um, but with Adele, I think my biggest takeaway is something that I've said several times um, 
you know, in our in our pitcher list discord and in other conversations. And that is uh, one prospects are not a straight line. You just never know. And two, not all prospect classes are created equal, um, you know, because Joe Adele sits atop a lot of these top rankings. And, um, you know, you, people see that and they go, oh, he's going to come up and he's going to be this guy right away. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think Adele's a good example of he still, you know, could turn into the guy that we think he is. He's obviously got um, the ability to, but you know, he struck out a lot this year. A lot of swing and miss this year, yeah. and um, so I'd like to see how he adjusts, you know, with an off season, with a normal year, and to see what happens next year. But um, I think that this is just an example of sometimes, and I'm very guilty of this. I might be the most guilty of this. Sometimes you just <laughs> got to pump the brakes on prospects when they first come up yeah yeah i mean uh even going um you know into this season even before you know covid and you know the world just kind of ended uh, (laughs) um i i really did think that uh adele was not really ready uh to come Mm -hmm. out to, to really start the season with the angels um I, I did think that he needed more time in AAA. I mean, he missed a bunch of time with like an ankle, an ankle sprain and a yeah. left hammy strain um, in, you know, 2019. And he just got like a really small cup of coffee um, mm-hmm. in, in AAA. And, you know, like you said, Andy, like he's always been like kind of like a little bit of like a slow starter whenever he would move up to a level. So I didn't think that he was ready to even start the season. So to see him struggle – um in the majors this year i i wasn't necessarily uh surprised to see it i mean maybe mm-hmm. that strikeout rate was you know a little bit maybe a little bit high yeah. uh, but i just think that he was just like totally out of his element like mm-hmm. he had like what a couple of home runs like knock mm-hmm. off his glove or whatever to, yeah. to calm home runs so i just think he was unfortunately just a bit overmatched so to see him struggle i i'm i guess i'm quote unquote okay with it uh it's kind of what i was expecting yeah i think you know we talk about how he's been at double a and triple a but he hasn't had a lot of experience at either i mean he's gotten he's played 60 games at double a and 27 games at triple a in his career so i mean that's combined still isn't even a full season so you know he's he's really young he's really inexperienced uh you know, I, we're looking at his Statcast page is kind of alarming because his everything is really blue. His X slugging was second percentile, X batting average and whiff percentage were first percentile. But you're also talking about a guy who's 78th percentile on the exit velocity and 98th percentile on the sprint speed. Like that, plus the fact that he's 21 and a former top prospect. I mean, that's enough to be to to not be panicking here. You know, like I don't think that that's yeah. worth. He's hitting the ball hard. He's really fast. He hit three home runs, even though he struck out 42% of the time. Like, I'm not doing anything in Dynasty. Uh, I think if you want to try to buy low on him and and there's an owner who is panicking, absolutely go for it. Uh, He hit the ball really hard. I think there's some intrigue here. But, but yeah, you know, if he is the starting outfielder for the Angels next year at the start of the season, I wouldn't expect him to light the league on fire. I think he's not ready. I think hopefully they'll start him in AAA, get him up to speed. I think he'll crush it at AAA next year because I think he'll be ready and then call him up and then have him be the guy that he could be. I think that's that's realistic for him. All right, moving on. Oh, go ahead, Shelly. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was just basically going to say the same thing. I was totally going <laughs> to agree. Um, I think that we're going – I think uh, Adele is going to be an absolute monster in yeah. 2022. Yep, yeah, that sounds good. 
our number three prospect on our top 100 was Luis Robert. Uh, there's been some uh, conversations in the <laughs> Twitter world about how to pronounce his last name. That is how it is officially pronounced is Robert. He has given people permission to call him Robert because people screw it up a lot. So I'm going to call him what he actually prefers, which is Robert. Uh, anyway, uh, he was probably going to be a runner up for rookie of the year. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, but obviously, you know, a guy who started the season out for the White Sox opening day starter. Uh, he faded real hard, really hard down the stretch. He at 136 in September. Uh, but on the season, still a guy who had 11 home runs with nine steals. Uh, the strikeout rate, which is what everybody was really concerned about, was 32%, which isn't great, but I don't think is as bad as a lot of people were making it out to be. You know, he only hit 233, which I guess isn't great, but I was happy with what we saw out of Luis Robert this year. Uh, Trevor, what did you think? Yeah, so a common theme with all these debuts is that uh, I'm going to be very wrong about things that I thought about them coming into the year. Um, <laughs> Robert might be the most shining example. Uh, I was pretty adamant that I kind of saw a Mankata-esque um, introduction to the league okay. um, in a different way. Mankata struck out a lot, but it wasn't necessarily swing and miss. He was just being super patient and... Mm -hmm. It didn't work in his favor. With Robert, I thought he was just going to strike out a lot, swing and miss. His numbers were mm -hmm. going to be low. People were going to kind of freak out. And then he was going to, you know, put some things together. To an extent, mm -hmm. he did strike out a lot. Yeah. Uh, but um, but he wasn't – he was good for a very long time. He showed why everybody loves him. He was um, mm -hmm. as dynamic as they come despite the strikeout rates. So um, I'm always going to worry about that. But also you can strike out 30% of the time if you're going to be putting up, you know, numbers in yeah, other exactly. categories and and that's kind of where uh robert falls into uh for me is that i was wrong to that extent where i he actually did succeed but he also did strike out a lot so something to keep an eye on but um mm. i mean he's got oh he's such a such a fun player to watch absolutely uh yeah yeah he totally is a extreme like from uh fun player to watch but he just swings just all the time and unfortunately like that's just maybe not the type of guy that i like mm -hmm. um like i kind of i took a look at his splits um he hit you know pretty well against uh lefties he hit 273 um and only struck out 17 percent of the time it's pretty cool okay. um but i mean against righties i mean he struck out 36 percent of the time you know he walked eight percent of the time so it's just like he's uh, he's very volatile and it's uh for me it's just maybe not the the fantasy type of guy that i like mm -hmm. um i like a bit more of a consistent guy but when he's on he is just gonna be like just so valuable just so much fun uh to watch but he is definitely gonna go through these you know ice cold streaks that we saw in yeah. september yeah, and what I liked about his September, uh, there wasn't a lot to like about it, but he did steal five bases in September. Uh, yeah. That probably won people's their leagues, to be honest. Like in a short season where steals were at a premium, like that probably was a league winner. So, like that is huge that he is able to do that. That he was still able to contribute some value. But yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be volatile. I think that we saw a we got a pretty good look at I think what he's going to be. I think there's some improvements to be made. Certainly, he can probably improve against right-handed pitching, like you mentioned. But He's going to hit a lot of home runs. He's going to steal a lot of bases. He's going to strike out a lot. I think if he can hit closer to 250, he's going to be elite. But if he hits 230 like he did or with a 302 on base percentage, which is pretty rough, uh, that's you know that's going to hurt you a little bit in fantasy. But, yeah, if you own him right now, you're happy as heck with what you got. And I don't think that you're – you're hopefully you're not looking to move him or unless you get a really, really good offer. 
exactly. the one thing I will say about uh, Robert is that I think we saw for the time being how pitchers are going to approach him. Um, mm-hmm. He saw nearly 30% sliders, um, yeah. according to fan graphs. So they're going to, righties especially, are going to be throwing him that slider and he's just. He's going to swing at it because he's he mm-hmm. is a swinger, and that's just something that's going to happen. So um, that's just an adjustment. That's one of those adjustments he's going to have to make is attacking that slider or laying off the slider when it's going to be, um, you know, borderline unhittable or moving out of the zone. Yeah, it's always good to, to to note things like that because guys can make improvements to those kinds of things. I don't know that he'll ever be elite at it because he's still going to swing, but if he does make some necessary adjustments there, that's going to be big. Yeah. Number four was Gavin Lux. Uh, he was our number four ranked prospect. Uh, he had a really interesting season. He, he was late to summer camp. Uh, there was never really, as far as I know, never really any explanation why he was late to summer camp. And then the guy was expected to be the opening day on the opening roster, potentially the opening day starting second baseman. Didn't happen. Took a long time for him to get called up. He ended up only playing in 19 games. Didn't do very well. He hit 175 with three home runs. Uh, again, wasn't called up until August 27th. So this is one of the first guys that I like, I mean, obviously the only third one we've talked about, but where I'm like, is there something to be concerned about here? Again, I mean, he he wasn't a super high-ranked prospect, and then he had one fantastic season, jumped on the radar as a super high-ranked prospect, and then didn't earn the Dodgers' mm-hmm. trust this year, uh, didn't hit well when he did get his opportunities. Again, it's a 19-game sample. I, you don't want to freak out about mm-hmm. that, but... You know, is there is there any reason to be maybe a little bit more concerned than uh, than maybe we were going into the season? Uh, start, we'll start with you, Shelley. Um, I, I I really don't think I really don't think so. I don't think mm-hmm. that we have. Um, uh, uh, who's the Phillies guy who kind of had like the same thing? Um, Kingery. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that mm-hmm. we have a Kingery situation here. Yeah. Um, I think it had. I, I'm really just gonna give like Gavin looks like a kind of a mulligan this year, because like you said, like he was late to summer camp, and to be honest, the Dodgers really didn't need him. Like that, yeah, the Dodgers true. just really have like an all-star lineup, mm-hmm. so they could just kind of have him kind of like quote unquote like work on things yeah. um, in in you know in the you know in the alternate camp. Um, during mm-hmm. the summer, like he really, he did need to work on his defense. Like there has been times where he just, even as a second baseman, he's had trouble kind of throwing over to first. Mm-hmm. That means. Um, so he did honestly have things to work on. Um, and the, you know, the Dodgers didn't need him, but Justin Turner, Jock Peterson and Kike Hernandez are going to be free mm-hmm. agents this off season. Yeah. Um, so that I, I honestly think that that could possibly just give him just an everyday role. Like Chris Taylor mm-hmm. could move over to left and, you know, he could just, just play every day at second. I, yeah. I'm really not deterred um, just by the super small, weird sample size that we saw. Yeah. I'm not really either. Um, I mean, you guys know I'm big on, on watching videos and, and, mm-hmm. you know, I just I'm not really worried about it to me with guys who play for the Dodgers and a few other organizations that I'm sure will come up but mm-hmm. you know the Dodgers are just one of those organizations where this is what's going to happen and and if you own them you're going to have to know this is how the Dodgers handle their prospects in real life probably mm-hmm. a great way to handle their prospects especially when you have the Dodgers lineup and you can um you know bring them along slowly and 
and have them work on what they need to work on. Um, so to me, this is just the Dodgers doing the Dodgers thing. And, and I'm not really too worried about Lux. You just got to know it's going to be there. Yeah, I think uh, for those who do own Gavin Lux and Dynasty or who are trying to trade for him, like I think Shelly's got a great point about the playing time potentially being there. Obviously, the Dodgers aren't going to not sign anybody this offseason. They'll probably go after some people. They might re-sign some of those guys. But uh, if there's a spot for him to start every day next year or, or a lot of the season, he'll probably still platoon some again, like Trevor said. That's what the Dodgers do. But, uh, yeah, I think that uh, I, it was a little concerning seeing him this year, but I'm not overly concerned long-term. I think that we're still talking about a super talented guy in a, in a system that develops hitting extremely well. So, uh, yeah, he's. I think he's still going to be very good. And, like, yeah, it's, it's a mulligan year. I think that's a good way to put it. <laughs> All right, uh, our number 10 prospect – preseason rankings was Dylan Carlson. Carlson was kind of the first of a handful of guys who we saw start out the season really rough when they first got called up. Uh, He actually got sent back down. uh, And then when he got called back up again, he hit extremely well. He had a 142 WRC plus at that point, a 21 year old kid who hits 140 or posts a 142 WRC plus for a month is definitely exciting. Uh, Again, there was some really, really rough patches with him to begin the season, but I, I don't know. I'm really excited about Dylan Carlson. I really like him. I'll let you guys talk first. But uh, Trevor, I know that Carlson's been a guy that you've you've been a big fan of. So what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I love Carlson. Even when he got sent down, I was not worried about Dylan Carlson. Um, mm-hmm. One of the biggest things for him is that he is a noted high baseball IQ guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he he's you know he'll he'll hit some home runs. He'll steal some bases. You know whatever the case may be, he's got a, a handful of tools. But he's a he's a high IQ guy and. And to me, those struggles were um, born out of mostly the fact that he was getting a steady diet of not fastballs. Um, and and in order to hit those pitches, you need to see those pitches. So when he came up the second time, I think he was more equipped for that. I mean, just to throw some numbers at you, and I know that, that we're using a small sample size of numbers here um, from 2020, but if you want to look at Joe Adele and Luis Robert, each of them saw about 48 to 49% fastballs. Dylan Carlson saw 41% fastballs in his uh, time this year. So he just wasn't, you know, he just, I think he just needed to adjust. He needed to know what he was going to see at the plate. And there was not a minute that I was worried about him coming back up and and being able to hit because, um, you know, he's always kind of been able to make the adjustments, even throughout the minors. Um, Even when his numbers might not have looked the best, he's just always been able to make these adjustments, do what the Cardinals wanted him to do. And, and uh, I, I love Dylan Carlson. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with, uh, with Trevor. Um, I have Carlson on a number of dynasty leagues and I had him on a couple of uh, redraft leagues. And unfortunately I had to like drop him after the Cardinals mm-hmm. didn't play him for a bit and then send him back down. But I will have to say, like I look at his stat cast numbers, like his, you know, his hard hit percentage is uh and sweet spot is 40%, which are both above league, above league average. So the dude is just a really good hitter. Um, I just think that it was just like a super small staple size. The Cardinals were trying to go for it. I totally got, um, Hmm. why they sent him down because he really honestly wasn't performing, but I, it, it didn't deter me whatsoever from a dynasty perspective. The dude is just a hitter and I just, He's going to be so good. Yeah, I, Shelly, you took my talking point. I was going to talk about his hard hit rate and his yeah. uh, sweet spot percentage. He also had a uh, 9.2% barrel rate, which is 
about 3% higher than the league average. Uh, again, small sample size on that, but uh, the dude hit the stuffing out of the ball when he made contact. Uh, and yeah. yeah, I think when you look at that coupled with his strong September, coupled with the fact that he's 21 years old. Uh, yeah. I think if there is anybody who's for some reason looking at his overall season line and a little panicking, uh, go get him from them, go, go to get him because he's fantastic. And I'm not concerned about this at all. Uh, again, such a young guy and so much talent. I think he's going to be really, really good. Number 14 on our top 100 list was Carter Keyboom. Uh, yeah. So this was uh, one that I know Shelly is a huge Keyboom fan. Uh, I know a lot of us have been big fans of him and I kind of talked about how there's a lot of guys who started the season out rough, took a break either because they got sent down or injured or whatever, and then kind of got hot at the end of the year. And he was not one of them. He, he it didn't happen for him. Unfortunately, uh, he did post a nice 344 on base percentage because he walked 14% of the time. That's fantastic. And that's notable. I think that we should, we should concentrate on that a little bit, especially if you're in OBP league, but pretty much everything else was, was just not there. He did not have a single home run. He did not steal a single base. He hit 202. He struck out 27% of the time, which is a little bit better than his little cameo last year, but obviously still not great. So I'm curious just what your guys' thoughts are on key boom. Uh, Shelly, we'll start with you. Cause I know he's one of your guys. Uh, hopefully there's maybe some rebound here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hope so. Um, like I, I, as a lot of people know, I've been high on key boom for a very long time. I've just loved the dude. I love his swing. I, he's just a good hitter. Um, unfortunately we just haven't really seen it. And I, I do think that key boom is a very, a very hitty type of guy. And what I mean by that is, um, usually when he comes up to a new level, he struggles, um, but then he starts to get going. Unfortunately, mm. the Nationals just haven't really committed to him yeah. um, to really give him like enough time to, for him to get into a rhythm. Um, I don't know if what that really means. Uh, last year, the Nationals were kind of actually going for something. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I understand. I understood um them kind of moving on after you know uh trey turner came back from his injury this year i was kind of shocked that they didn't kind of give him a little bit more of a run mm. um but yeah i mean he was just kind of like really bad before they sent him back down so i i, I still believe um but i just really hope that the nationals believe as much as i do um i i this this season kind of made me kind of take a step back of my Carter Keeboom love mm-hmm. um, because it just seems like this has been two times now that the Nationals have kind of moved on. Like, why aren't they, you know, giving him just a full run? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, as much as it pains me, I've kind of come down a little bit on my Keeboom love. Yeah, um, I, I always will say... Um, that I will defer to Shelley on all things Carter key formulated. Um, the, uh, the nationals in terms of their prospects are kind of like a dead zone for me, just cause I don't outside of like Jackson Rutledge and Tim Kate, like I don't know anything about that system. So I always like to defer to Shelley on this, but, but you know, Carter Keeboom, I think he's just one of those handful of, of average to slightly above average tool kind of guys. So um, I, I would also like to see a, a more extended uh, uh, commitment just to see, but um, 
I think he could figure it out. I think that, you know, he's got the ability. So, um, kind of with Shelly, just give him more time. Yeah. 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 He's, he's still pretty young too. I mean, he's 23, so not as young as some of the other guys, but yeah, it was just a, it was a weird year for him. I mean, he, he didn't hit the ball hard. He didn't barrel up a ball at all the entire season, according to, to Statcast. at least his hard hit rate was 21, which is horrible. So it, you know, it's a, it's a small sample. Obviously, we're going to say that a handful of times. Uh, young guy didn't really get a chance to get going, which I know is, is hard for anybody. And I'm sure it was tough for him, especially in a season where the Nationals weren't really going for it. It seemed like he might get more run. And he he did a little bit at the end of the year. But I don't know. I'm not like completely panicking here, but he's the first guy on this on this list that I'm like, yeah, I, I he's going to be lower. I mean, he's, he's not a prospect anymore, so he won't be on prospect li- list next year. But if he was, he would be a, a lot lower than 14. I'll be honest. Uh, I think that he is a above average tool guy and could become an above average regular. But from a mm-hmm. fantasy perspective, I'm far less confident that he's going to be like a must roster guy in in more standard formats. And so in, in dynasty leagues, like that's something to keep, keep in mind. You don't want to sell them at his lowest point. So if you have them, you're probably just holding and hoping, but uh, yeah, this is, uh, it was tough. It was a tough year to say the least. Yep. Uh, next, up, yep. next up on our list, uh, number 23 on our top 100, we get to be positive. We've been a bit negative uh, for a few of these guys, but Alec Bohm is next up. He had an incredible season a potential rookie of the year candidate in the national league uh, in 44 games. He hit 338 with a 400 on base percentage hit, hit just four home runs. Didn't see a ton of over the fence pop from bone, but looked really good. Otherwise I, he's just, he's just a good hitter. Like the dude he's, I, it seems like he's always going to hit well for like a good average. Uh, the power will come. He hit a lot of home runs in the minor leagues. Uh, I don't think anybody should be overly concerned with the lack of home run power we saw from him. Uh, Trevor, what, what did you think? Uh, well, this is my NL Rookie of the Year choice, yeah. so obviously I thought he did pretty well. He did okay, at least. And um, I don't know, man. I, he, this is another guy that I was uh, completely not correct about. I thought he <laughs> would, when I saw that he got called up, I'm thinking, all right, well, you know, Bohm's a power guy, so he he might pop his way into a few home runs, but I don't know that he's going to do anything too inspiring. Yeah. That was incorrect. He, he, was, <laughs> uh, he was just solid, man, and... and um, I was not, uh, I wouldn't say I wasn't a believer in Bohm, but I mm. definitely wouldn't say that now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, for me, like I've always been kind of like a little bit down on his, on his power because I do know in double A where he hit those 14 head rounds, Redding is mm-hmm. a humongous hitter spark. Mm-hmm. So I've always been kind of down on his power. Um, I mean, his home run to fly ball ratio kind of went down a little bit, but his doubles were still there. Like he hit 11 doubles, mm-hmm. um, versus, uh, so he had 11 doubles and then he had 11 doubles in double a. So it's kind of like, yeah. I, 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 I like him. I, I don't think that he's going to be like, maybe like super home runsy, but he, he definitely will get to doubles and maybe, maybe at some point he'll like spike like some like huge home run total, but I just think he's, he's just a good hitter. And that is what I like about him. I don't think that he's going to hit like 40 bombs or something like that. Like he's going to be like 20, 25, maybe 30 bombs. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's just going to have like a really good average. He's just a really good hitter. Just don't expect, you know, a whole lot of home runs from him, but 
great hitter. Yeah, probably need to improve on the 5% launch angle. I think that uh, <laughs> was, <laughs> yeah. was a bit of a challenge for him. Uh, he hit the absolute stuffing out of the ball, but we've seen before. I think there was a, I think it's a picture list article, may try to link to it in the notes that talked about how uh, the first thing you look at, after, if you look at exit velocity and you look at hard hit rate, the next thing you have to look at is launch angle because a lot of dudes, and this was really common with Miguel Cabrera in his later career, uh, they hit the absolute stuffing out of the ball on the ground. And those are outs most of the time. Uh, so for Bomb, I think that's what we saw a little bit from him this year was, you know, 90 mile an hour exit velocity is great, but if you're just hitting a whole bunch of ground balls, you know, it's not necessarily doing you a whole lot of good. Uh, I think he. I think you're right, though, Shelley. I think he's. We're gonna see, see a guy with a lot of doubles power, uh, high average. Will probably, you know, hit his way into 20 or 25 home runs. Uh, a guy who would benefit from being in a hitter's park, certainly. But yeah, I, he's a good hitter. He's a, he's a, a good baseball hitter. I know that that's the you know the really intense analysis that people come here for. But that's. I mean, that's what he is. The dude can hit the ball, and I think he will continue to hit the ball. I think if he continues to start for the Phillies, he's a guy that's regularly going to be like a guy you want on your fantasy team just because of that. And so I'm, I'm excited about him going forward. I wasn't expecting this from him this year. Uh, I'm happy to see him come out of the gate swinging and, and do it as well as he did, but he's the guy I'm excited about going forward. Next up a bit different of a hitter, uh, Nick Madrigal, uh, number 29 on our top 100 rankings. Uh, he did almost pretty much exactly, pretty much exactly what I thought that he would do, what most people thought he would do. I uh, hit 340. In 29 games, he missed a good chunk of the season with a wrist injury, uh, which some people say, well, wrist injuries sap power, which is true. Nick Madrigal doesn't have any power. I don't think that there, <laughs> there, was, there wasn't power to take away from him. Uh, he only stole two bases, which I, I know is going to maybe concern some people, uh, but he hit 340. So you know what? If you have him on your fantasy team, you're going to be happy with the batting average that you got. Uh, 376 on base percentage as well, for those of you who play in that format. Uh, he didn't walk a lot. He's probably not going to be a high walk guy. He's a high high swing, high contact guy. He always has been. Uh, but he didn't strike out at all either. That's just not what he is. You know, we're talking about a guy with a sub four walk rate and just over 6% on the strikeout rate. Um, just an interesting player, uh, you know, guys who don't hit home runs, don't steal bases, don't walk, don't strike out are interesting. I think the stolen bases will probably come up for him and they're going to need to, for him to be uh, like a legitimate fantasy asset, you know, like Luis Reyes is fun on the twins, but if, you know, if you don't steal bases or score a ton of runs, you have a hard time being relevant and the runs could potentially come if he's hitting at the top of the order in a White Sox lineup. But uh, yeah, a guy that I've always been super interested in. I followed him since college because he went to Oregon State and I you know, live in the Pacific Northwest. So I've, I've enjoyed watching him. I'm not super sold on him as a fantasy asset. I never have been. Uh, but this was fun to see him hit so well, uh, even with the wrist injury. Trevor, what did you think? I think you took all the talking points there. Andy. Yeah, I kind of, um, I, I felt like I went too long on that, but that's all right. You guys can still find something. There. <laughs> but I will say Nick Madrigal is my favorite player to periodically go to Twitter and type in his name because <laughs> people will argue to no end about Nick Madrigal and is he good? <clears throat> and it's because he has that elite hit tool. And mm. I mean elite hit tool, but you said it. He is what he is. He's not going to walk a lot. He's not going to strike out a lot. He's going to swing. He's going to make contact. He's going to get hits. I don't really know if the steals will be there as much as you want them to. I don't really know if he's going to be a fantasy asset, but I think Nick Madrigal is one of the few guys mm -hmm. who debuted this year who we can look at and say that he showed what he is because yep. he's never been anything else. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, um, I want Nick Madrigal on my real life baseball team. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want him on my fantasy baseball team. I think that's that's the the biggest takeaway here. He's still prospect eligible. Uh, I'm going to be intrigued to see where he gets ranked. Uh, obviously, many lists out there are not ranking for fantasy, and he will mm-hmm. probably be very high. Uh, lists that do rank him in a fantasy setting, like our list is, is focused on fantasy. You know, I, I really like him, and it's hard for me to like knock him down after hitting 340 this season, but it, it's going to depend so much on those deals. And if they don't show up, then he's it's going to be hard to roster him in shallower formats. But I really like him. I can tell you that, and he's going to hit. He's going to keep doing that for sure. Yeah. Next up, number 33 on our top 100 list, Joey Bart. Bart was a guy that I didn't really expect to make his major league debut, uh, maybe a late season type guy, obviously. Buster Posey opting out for the Giants certainly made it more uh, plausible that he would come up. Uh, didn't do much with the stick. Uh, 233, no home runs, no stolen bases. Walked less than 3% of the time. Struck out 37% of the time. Uh, kind of, I don't know, like uh, concerning numbers, obviously, not what you want to see from this guy, but he's very young. He's had very, very little minor league experience. Uh, I'm personally not overly concerned. I would have liked to at least see one or two balls go over the fence this year. Uh, but we didn't get that. Uh, he still hit the ball pretty hard. Uh, Shelly, what, what did you think? Uh, yeah, uh, I like you. I was very surprised that he got called up so soon uh, with mm. the Giants. Um, I saw him for, I don't know, a couple games when he got called up to double uh, A. Um, mm. He actually, you know, saw the on the East Coast in Richmond. So I got to see him for a couple mm. couple games, which is pretty cool. Um yeah, he hasn't really had that much minor league experience, like you said. Um, you know, after being drafted, he's had like a lot of. Uh, I think he had a hammy injury, and then like a couple like thumb injuries. He keeps getting like hit on the on the hand and like, you know, fracturing like a thumb or whatever. So he hasn't really had that much minor league experience. But going, uh, you know, during his minor league time, like he's looked really good. It's just like that. That jump from, you know, double A to the majors is absolutely mm-hmm. huge. And especially missing like a lot of time. He got a little bit of time in the AFL before, you know, getting hit on his hand again and fracturing his thumb. So, I mean, he, I, I, I don't really take um, a lot of what I saw this year. I don't think that's going to be Joey Bart going forward. Um, uh, I just think that, you know, with, with Posey opting out, that's kind of why we saw him so fast. Um, but I, I think that he starts in the minors next year and then comes up later. Um, I'm not deterred by what I saw. I still, I still like the guy. Yeah, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him at all next year. Um, in my home league, uh, I, I was just talking about the catching position. I did not have the best uh, setup there at the catcher position, which was on purpose because to me, catching catchers in fantasy are not what I put together ever. So mm-hmm. um, he goes, well, what's your plan? Like, are you, you going to grab Bart? And I said, absolutely not. And it's not because I don't think Bart's going to be a good player. I think he, I think he is. Um, but, you know, again, like Shelly said, going from double A to the majors, that's a tough adjustment. I didn't think that Joey Bart was going to be ready. I don't know. Many people thought Joey Bart was going to be ready, but he's he's a good baseball player, and for as much stock as you're allowed to put into catching prospects, and I will definitely um, be contradictory to this statement with another catcher that we have uh, coming up. But um, 
you know, for as much stock as you put into catchers, I think Joey Bart's still fine. I mean, <laughs> there's not much else about it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think that he's fantasy relevant until 2022. Uh, I think maybe September in 2021, uh, obviously depends on injuries and stuff. But yeah, I, I think that he's probably not a guy we're going to see much of until then. And uh, certainly won't, I don't think will be fantasy relevant until he's ready. And that is probably a few years away. Number 35 on our list, Colorado Rockies shortstop Brendan Rodgers. Uh, the, the Rockies are, they hate prospects, I think is the really simple way to explain it. They just, they don't like playing them. It, Garrett Hampson is 25 and should have been in the big leagues or a reg, big league regular three years ago, and he finally happened this year. Uh, Rodgers, similar story. The difference is Rodgers hasn't really done anything to earn it. He hasn't played well. He didn't play well in a big league cameo last year. He played worse in a big league cameo this year. It was very, very, very tiny cameo. Uh, he only appeared in seven games, but he, he hit less than 100. Uh, just didn't didn't have it with a stick this year. And I think that it's hard to, you know, it's hard. It, obviously, you can't put too much stock in seven games, certainly. And it's hard to, to judge a guy for spending the entire year waiting to get called up and only get a small, tiny chance. But with how much he's struggled in the big leagues over the last two seasons and how hesitant the Rockies are to play minor leaguers, I think it's hard to not be at least a little bit concerned here. Uh, Shelly, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I am. <laughs> um, I'm totally against any of Rockies prospects at this point until there is a, um, a regime change in Colorado. Yeah. Um, because I mean, you, you, the Rockies, like you said, they don't play their prospects. And then he was also coming off a shoulder um, mm -hmm. surgery. So yeah, I'm just like, just totally just trying to stay away from all Rockies at this point. I generally try to stay away from all Rockies, usually. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, the, the Rockies, the way they handle their prospects is not a secret, and it's not good for prospect people or for the prospects themselves. makes me very sad for Zach Fiend, but that's a conversation <laughs> for another time. Um, with, with Rogers, I will say that I very much hope that he gets traded. <laughs> Yeah. I know he's gone through his injuries and everything, but, you know, and, and I'm going to use an a analogy from a different team. The Cardinals um, did a similar thing with Carson Kelly because who's, you know, you're not going to overtake Yachty and Yachty's going to play till he's 98 years old. So um, <laughs> then they, tra you know, Carson Kelly gets traded in that, and that Goldschmidt deal goes to Arizona. And then all of a sudden we get to see Carson Kelly. So mm -hmm. that's kind of in my mind, how, what I want for Brendan Rogers. <laughs> Totally fair. Uh, I'll ask you guys real quick before we move on to the next guy. Uh, Rogers is still prospect eligible. I, I mean, maybe you guys have started making your lists already. I have not for top 100 next year. Do you envision Rogers being top 75 next year? For me, no. I've started my list and I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but because mm -hmm. I'm just so anti Rockies, yep. I don't. I don't even know if I have him in my top 100 to be honest. There, Trevor. Yeah, I haven't started a list. I mean, in terms of, of talent potential, it would be hard not to, but one, we're at a point of major prospect fatigue with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And two, he does play for the Colorado Rockies. So <laughs> it's yeah. kind of tough. Yeah, he's a tough one for me too. I think he'll probably be close to the end of my top 100 list. If you can get him super cheap in Dynasty Leagues, go for it. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard to hard to be invested in him when his own team is not invested in him. 
Next up on our list, number 43, Christian Pash. I, I hate realizing as I'm saying somebody's name that I don't know how to pronounce it, um, but that's the life of a podcaster. Anyway, <laughs> he only played in two games. Uh, he went one for four. Uh, he got called up over Drew Waters. I think that that is vaguely interesting, although he's older than Drew Waters and more big league ready, certainly with the glove. Uh, and then he did make the playoff roster for the Braves, which is kind of interesting. I think, I believe he made it over Ender and Ciarte. Um, so I'm, I know you can't judge anything off of going one for four in two games, obviously, but uh, I think it's at least somewhat interesting that he got the call. He got an opportunity this year. They're, they're taking a look at him. Uh, Shelly thoughts on, on Ash, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that it does mean a lot that one, he got caught up over Drew Waters. Um, mm. I've been kind of more of a Pache fan over Waters. I think Waters is going to be maybe a little bit more, uh, he has trouble against lefties. So it, it kind of, uh, I love the talent, but the, the platoon splits with him kind of scare me a bit. And I do know with like Pache, like he, his defense is absolutely elite. So he is going to get that playing time over Waters. So I get that. And then seeing that he made the playoff roster over Inciarte, I mean, honestly, I think that he has an inside track of getting a starting gig um, at a spring training. So uh, I've I've always been a fan. Um, I I unfortunately sometimes my real life baseball uh, prospect thing uh, kind of gets a little bit ahead of my fantasy uh, prospect rankings, um, but. I've always been a fan. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about those outfield prospects with the Braves, talk about Waters, talk about Pache, they are going to have a fantastically great defensive outfield if they, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if both of them are up, plus, you know, uh, Acuna, whatever. But in terms of offense and what would be relevant to a fantasy lineup, which I... I'm just not sold on either Pache or Waters. Um, I don't know that they're. I don't know if Pache is going to hit enough or focus on him. I'll focus on him. I don't know that he's going to, you know, make enough solid contact um, to be an option. So I, you know, when, when people ask, I always am kind of weary of Pache and Waters, and so I'm kind of in that camp. So I'm probably not the best guy to be talking about him, hyping up his, uh, his <laughs> debut. But uh, um, it was interesting, I think, to see him called up and and. I'd love to see him prove me wrong. I love being wrong. <laughs> yeah, not specifically a hype up episode necessarily. So if we're down on guys, we could be down on guys. Uh, obviously, it's it's hard to judge Pache on two games. But yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I see a huge amount of fantasy relevance here for him going forward. Better real life player, which it's, it is hard to separate those guys. You know, you don't want to take a guy like this who could be a legitimate big league regular and like knock him way down on a, on a list. But at the end of the day... I'm not confident he's a huge fantasy asset going forward. Yeah. Next up, number 44, one of the more interesting debuts that we saw uh, this season, Evan White, first baseman for the Mariners. Uh, Obviously, White signed that big contract before the season started uh, so that he would not have to deal with service time. They started him right away at first base, and things went extremely poorly for the vast majority of the year, unfortunately. Uh, His strikeout rate was horrifying. He struck out. Uh, 42% of the time for a guy who didn't express huge strikeout numbers in the minor leagues. They weren't great, but it wasn't expected to be this much of a concern. You know, he finished the year hitting 176. He did hit eight home runs in those 54 games. He did gradually improve as the season went on. Um, again, just looking at the stat cast isn't the best way to analyze. That's been another topic of contention on Twitter lately. But uh, White's is all over the place. <laughs> 
there's some spots. His exit velocity is extremely hard, uh, extremely high. Excuse me, his hard hit rate super high, barrel rate super high. He's fast. His sprint speed was super good. Everything else was not just bad, like very, very, very bad. So <laughs> I watched a lot of White this year. You know, I live in the area. I watch a lot of Mariners games. Uh, and he just didn't quite look ready. I mean, if we're being perfectly honest, he just didn't look ready. When he when he got a pitch he could hit, he crushed it. I mean, he his exit velocities were like the eye test confirmed that he hits the stuffing out of the baseball, but just swung and missed way too much. Off-speed stuff really got to him. Uh, I'm not overly concerned long-term. I think that the, the flashes that I did see from him this year were really, really good, but he he wasn't ready to be a big league regular and the Mariners had nobody behind him. And it was, it was tough watching him kind of flail for, for large chunks of the season. Uh, Trevor, what did you think? Well, at the beginning of draft season, I was raking in all the late round Evan white stock mm-hmm. that I could grab, um, especially in redraft, obviously. And um, I was in on this. I'm thinking, man, this guy's come up being great. I saw mm-hmm. a um, something on Twitter recently where, Somebody said they think that he could still turn into Freddie Freeman. I don't mm. think that's true, but no. <laughs> um, no. But uh, you know, I do like Evan White still. I'm not really deterred. We were just talking about how hard that jump is from Double A to the majors, and that's what Evan White did, save for 18 plate appearances at Triple A in 2018. Um, mm. So uh, I'm not really worried. He's got another. I mean, you want to talk about being able to play defense like we just were? Evan sure. White is fantastic defensively. So. Uh, I'm not worried. I think he'll figure it out and become who he's going to become. Um, like you said, he was steadily improving, so I'm still probably going to be taking all my late round um, shares <laughs> of Evan White next year. Yeah, I mean, y'all y'all said it great. Uh, I've I've been an Evan White fan uh, for you know a couple seasons here, uh, and I I was you know, just like Trevor, like in my redraft leagues, I was like totally drafting him late rounds because I believed in the talent and I still do. But, and that just that jump was so huge. And, you, uh, and, you know, Andy, like you said, like he just looked totally lost. Uh, but that defense was elite when he got on a, when he, you know, actually got a pitch that he felt comfortable to hit. Uh, he barreled that sucker. Uh, I still believe in the guy. I just think that it's just going to take just a little bit longer than kind of everyone expected. Yeah, I think he's probably my favorite buy low. One of my favorite buy lows among the the top tier prospects that we're talking about today. Uh, just a guy that I think the the surface numbers look pretty scary, and that might scare away some people uh, after what we saw this season. But the underlying numbers are really, really good. And, you know, right-handed hitting first baseman have a cap in how good they can actually be, <laughs> certainly, but I, I would be willing to buy in on him. Uh, if anybody's selling it under under his actual price, I would be all in on trying to get him. Yeah. Next up, number 54 on our list, uh, Nico Horner for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't, I like the Cubs were just a team that kind of escaped me for most of the season. I don't know what it was about them. They don't have a great system outside of, of Horner, so maybe that was it. But uh, he was okay. He only hit 222, which is obviously concerning. Uh, 312 on base percentage was nice because he walked about 10% of the time, which was great. Swiped a couple of bases. No home runs, though, which I think is going to be, it's going to be the story with, with Horner, I think, is, is, is he going to develop 
even a, a little bit of power, average power, because if he doesn't, it's going to be really hard for him to be the, the valuable guy that you want him to be. The, the walk rate's nice. The steals are nice. I think he can probably improve a little bit there, but uh, until we see more power, he's going to be somebody that is a little bit alarming to me. Uh, Trevor, what did you think? Yeah, um, I'm kind of down on Horner. Um, <laughs> he came up, he had a nice debut, uh, all things considered, in, in 2019, but he's going to be, I think, a little bit overvalued by people because, well, he was the top prospect for the Cubs. But like you mentioned, that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, yeah, it's a bad system. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I like who they have now prospects-wise when you go to the top and you look at Braylon Marquez and, and uh, mm-hmm. Miguel Amaya and, and you know, a few others. But um, with Horner, you know, he kind of was the top guy before those guys made the jump, before they were even in the system. So um, I, I'm not really... I'm not really in on Horner. I don't think I would roster him at all um, if given the opportunity. And and it's just because I don't know what he is or what he's going to be. You know, <laughs> um, you can read the reports and and he's talented. I think he'll he'll be okay. But I don't know that he's going to be what you want him to be in order to have him on a fantasy team. Yeah, uh, I I kind of agree. Um, I mean, he he missed some time uh, last year with a I think a wrist injury, so I was kind of like, oh maybe that's why his power was down. But it just it just never really came together. Like he basically was like splitting time with Jason Kipnis uh, mm-hmm. for the Cubs this year, so that's really never a good sign either. And honestly, I I really wish that Horner was like you know, like a couple years older. So basically like he would have debuted like when the Cubs were like really, really good. I could see him like hitting at top of that lineup and just like scoring a bunch of runs. But I think the Cubs uh, kind of core is on a downslide. So I just, yeah, he's never really not going to give you stolen bases. He's really not going to give you too much home runs. It's going to be maybe empty average. So Yeah. Um, I own him, uh, you know, I have him in a couple of uh, <laughs> dynasty leagues and I'm thinking about probably dropping him because I just don't really see the upside there. Yeah. Two barrels in his career up to this point and 154 batted ball opportunities. It's not good. Uh, he's just, you know, you, you want him to luck into some home runs, but if he's not putting the ball in the air, if he's not making solid contact, it's just, it's not going to happen. So I've yeah. kind of an agreement here that this is somebody that I'm uh, downgrading and not overly excited about going forward. Next up is Nick Solak. Solak's a guy that I was really low on coming into the year. I just never really quite bought in uh, to what he was doing last year. He was terrible at hitting breaking stuff. Uh, he lucked into some of the success that he had. Uh, this year, though, he, we saw some kind of encouragement. Uh, it wasn't great by any means, uh, but he hit 268. He hit a couple of home runs. He stole seven bases. Uh, you know, not as much power as he had in his little cameo in 2019, but exit velocity and hard hit rates were up. He did improve his walk rate and his strikeout rate, which were, well, excuse me, his walk rate came down, but also his strikeout rate came down too. Uh, I don't know. I've always been a little bit low on him. I might be willing to change my tune. I think there are some encouraging signs from him this year. Uh, Shelly, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I was really high on Solek uh, coming into the year. Um, I, I, I liked him when he was um, with the Rays. I just never thought that he would find a spot. And then, you know, when he got traded over to the Rangers and the, the Peter Fairba- uh, Fairbanks uh, trade, I was like, oh, yeah, he's finally going to get some playing time. Came up last year. It looked really good. But this year, 
I, yeah, like you said, there was some, some encouraging things, but just seeing him just kind of waffle like throughout mm. the entire year, I've just, yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe he could make a good kind of like MI option, but mm. yeah, uh, I don't think that we're going to see the 2019 Nick Zolak again. I was medium on Nick Solak <laughs> entering this year. Um, and what kind of pushed me to be above medium was the realization that, you know, he might have that multi-position eligibility. And for me, that was yeah. just kind of an important thing, especially when you're where you're going to be getting him uh, when <laughs> you go late in, you know, you can get him fairly late in, the, in those redrafts. So um, that kind of put him on my radar a little bit more. And I think that would have been great if he didn't only play second base and outfield this year. Um, so that kind of put a damper on it and just, you guys kind of said it all. And just to add a little bit to Nico Horner, I think Nick Solak kind of what you're hoping Nico Horner becomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I, I think that's interesting that they went back to back, but, but if both Horner and Solak, if they have, if they're playing multiple positions and they're just going to be doing what they're doing right now, I don't see that. I mean, it's a decent thing to have on your bench. Uh, so Jazz Chisholm was next, number 61 overall in our top 100 rankings. Uh, I definitely had Jazz. I had both ahead of both of these guys. I know that for sure. Uh, I was really high on him. Uh, there's obviously a, a lower floor with Jazz than I think both of those guys going forward, but probably a higher ceiling, at least in my opinion, a higher ceiling than both of them. Uh, Jazz had 21 games in the big leagues this year with the Marlins. Uh, you kind of saw a good chunk of, I think you saw some glimpses of that ceiling, but a lot of that floor as well. He hit 161. Uh, walked about 8% of the time, which is nice. Struck out about 30% of the time, which actually isn't as bad as I would have thought. He's a guy that I, if you told me he struck out 40% of the time in his big league debut, I would have believed you because that is kind of the trend that he was on in the minor leagues. So a little bit cons- or a little bit uh, exciting that he struck out a little bit less, but still didn't hit the ball exceptionally hard. A uh, pair of home runs, pair of steals was kind of nice. Uh, Trevor, I know he's not, you're not the biggest Jazz his home fan. I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts were on him uh, this season. Yeah, I mean, if you had told me he struck out 70% of the time in his major league debut, I probably would have believed you. Um, and that's, that really doesn't speak to, you know, his him as a player, what he becomes. I'm not that high on Jazz Chisholm. A lot of really smart people around me are high on Jazz Chisholm. But I just, it's that variance between floor and ceiling. And I just don't see how he's ranked so high. That's, that's really my issue with Chisholm. Because he's going to be what he's going to be. And that's what he's showing the minors. He's going to have swing and miss. He'll hit for power. He's got, you know, some speed to him. But, man, you're either going to get something that's fantastic and you're like, I'm glad Jazz Chisholm is on my team, or you're going to get something like I, what's below a floor. I mean, you're you're in the basement with him. So, you know, it's just that variance. I think he gets overranked, and, and that's really my main issue with Chisholm. Um, he's obviously very talented. I think Derek Jeter said that he sees himself in Jazz Chisholm, which is an interesting <laughs> thing. Um, wow. but, uh, you know, considering he was traded for Zach Gallen, mm-hmm. he's got some heavy shoes to fill, whether that was planned or not. So, um, yeah. you know, Chisholm's just a guy who I, I can't pinpoint. I can't tell people what to think about him. Cause I don't know that he's going to hit that ceiling. I don't, I really don't think he's going to hit that ceiling. I don't know if he'll even come close to what he mm-hmm. really could be. Yeah. When it comes to jazz, 
Um, I he's definitely one of those, you know, big room guys, huge ceiling, low floor. Um, and and the Marlins, like they've they've really tried to like target these types of guys in trades, like Monte Harrison, Lewis Brinson, like these huge toolsy guys. And they, you know, both of those guys just haven't really panned out. So honestly, I I'm just been lower on Jazz, um, even in his Diamondback days. But it, then when he was like traded to Miami, I just kind of need to see Miami do like their player dev uh, development thing with a really toolsy guy for me to buy in. Um, so maybe I would probably miss out on Jazz if it actually works out. Um, but I'm just kind of scared, like when the Marlins hitting uh, player development. Um, like if, if Jazz was a pitcher, yeah, I would totally buy in because they just they oh, they're so good at developing pitchers. But I've just been a little bit scared about these toolsy guys with Miami. Yeah, it seems silly to to point to Monty Harrison's 52 percent strikeout rate as a reason to be down on Jazz Chisholm, but I kind of <laughs> get it. Like I I, I I sort of do. Like I I'm I was high on Jazz. Before the season started, like I said, I still think the ceiling is is certainly higher than Solak and Horner and higher than some other guys, but I, w- I will be lower on him almost certainly. I think I had him like 35 or something. Uh, he was 61 on our list. That feels pretty close to about where I think he'll be. I still am intrigued by that ceiling, but to Trevor's and- point, like, it depends on how you evaluate prospects. Everybody, everybody is more risk, has a different variance of risk. Some people are risk averse, in which case you'd probably go with the Solak in this case. Uh, people who are are more willing to take risks or have a roster where they can take a gamble, you know, Jazz is a guy that I can see being an appealing uh, option there. And one more thing on Jazz, real quick. When I was talking to somebody about him, um, they sh- they sent me two videos, and and they s- both of them were groundouts, which was just super interesting to me. But mm-hmm. there were noted um, differences in the groundouts. So in the second half of the season, I believe it would have been the 2018 season at this time. Um, he was gearing up for the pitch a little bit less, leaving him less susceptible to off-speed. So in both of the videos, he kind of rolled over, um, mm-hmm. but he was able to hit the second one harder because he had adjusted how you know he had adjusted pre-pitch to be able to uh, have a little bit more back control, which I think is a really interesting point to make, especially off of two groundouts. So mm-hmm. there are improvements that have been made, but again, Jazz is just you know I don't you, you can't pinpoint him. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good 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 note though. Uh, Sean Murphy was next. Uh, very very different than Jazz Chisholm. Different than a lot of the guys we've talked about. Uh, I loved I loved love love Sean Murphy. Uh, go, in general, I loved him this season. I was crushed. I did not get him. It was the first year of my AL only dynasty league, and Sean Murphy. It was really high on my board, and I was I was playing with somebody who used to work for the Oakland A's, so I should have should have drafted him sooner than I did. I didn't. I'm never going to get him in a trade. I you know what? I'll, I'll get over it. I'm fine. I have Alejandro Kirk. We'll talk about him later, but Murphy was huge this season, seven home runs, 17 and a half percent walk rate, which is incredible. Uh, again, obviously an impact more impactful in OBP formats, uh, 364 on base percentage. Uh, I think, you know, obviously, you know, we're talking about a guy, he's a catcher. So the, the bar for him being fantasy relevant is lower. Uh, but even what he did, I mean, he absolutely hit the crap out of the ball. 92% ex- or 92 mile per hour exit velocity, just under 50% hard hit rate. Uh, you know, we're talking about a guy who is plus defensively. Some of the f- metrics don't don't like him as much this year, but uh, I think he's a plus defensive guy. He's 26 years old. He's hits the stuffing out of the ball. He's going to have good home run stuff. He may never hit for a super high average, but 
if you play in OBP formats in particular, he's. I really think that he's a, a regular top 10 catcher going forward, especially in a loaded Oakland lineup. Shelly, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I've been a Sean Murphy fan for, you know, a couple seasons here. Um, he honestly, outside of Jake Lamb's 13 games, if you want to take that into account, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> he mm-hmm. was the best hitter for the A's this year. Um, I probably wasn't expecting that, but I'd love to see it. The dude uh, just really just can flat out hit. Um, and he'll probably be hitting in the middle of the A's lineup going forward. Um, just as long as he can stay healthy. Like That is going to be the big thing with, with Murphy. But uh, yeah, I had him on a couple of redraft leagues this year and I, I enjoyed it immensely. <laughs> You know, uh, I can't really add anything to what Sean Murphy is. I think he's great. I like Sean Murphy. And I've mentioned this before, just the way that I play fantasy baseball. I'd be selling high on Murphy right now. Um, That's fair. He's got, he's got two home runs in the postseason. There's a lot of hype behind his name. The catcher position to me is just so volatile, I think, at times, where I just, you can always find a catcher, I think, to put there. You can always have mm-hmm. a catcher and it'll be fine. But if you can get some value out of him, I would absolutely think about trading high on Murphy. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a good call. I hadn't thought about that, but I could see why why that might be a good idea. Sixty seven was a guy I wrote about for Pitcher List, and one of my uh, going deep pieces this year was on Ryan Mountcastle for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Mountcastle had an incredible debut, uh, thirty five games. He hit three thirty three. 139 WRC plus uh, and a guy that I really liked coming into the season. He was one of my favorite prospects. Uh, I own him in that same AL only league I was discussing earlier. Uh, and yeah, he, he, the biggest thing that he improved upon, there was a huge struggle for him in the minor leagues was his walk rate. Uh, he walked about 8% of the time in the major leagues and walked 4% of the time in AAA. Uh, I did some digging in that article. I'll link to it in the show notes as well. Uh, his whiff rate and some of his letter numbers don't really indicate a guy whose plate discipline has magically improved a ton. There was a whole bunch of talk from the Orioles camp about how, oh, we're working on his plate discipline and things like that. And it, it didn't really quite show up that much. The numbers seem to bear it out, but the the underlying stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at a guy who's going to be settle into more of a 6% walk rate guy. But if he's hitting 330 and he's hitting a handful of home runs, you're going to be more than happy with him going forward. So he's a guy that I have a lot higher on my next list for sure. I'm really excited about him. Uh, Shelly, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, same. Um, I've been a Mount Caster fan for a while. Um, uh, I mean, there was really no question for me whether he could hit. He's always been a hitter. Um, it's just kind of like where his defensive home would be. Um, he played a lot of outfield um, and then uh, I think Chris Davis went on the um, injured list, and then maybe he's playing a little bit of first base. Um, um, but I think that it the the kind of you know clog has kind of you know lifted there. So I do think that Mountcastle is going to have the you know an everyday role going forward, and I just really think that he's going to ha- be just a good hitter. Um, maybe uh, lesser in OBP leagues because I still need to see a little bit more of whatever we saw this year from him because he's never done this before kind of thing. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm totally high on Mount Castle. So it's weird um, that the two players I probably, you know, got the most questions about from people were Ryan Mount, Ryan Mount Castle and Austin Hayes. 
Because like mm-hmm. I've never had any sort of affiliation with a site that re- talks about the Orioles even a little bit. Um, but except Pitcher List, which is practically except Pitcher List. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, shout out Alex Fast. But um, you know, I, I, I for both of them, I'm just like, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not. I wasn't worried about either one of them really, and uh, I'm happy Mountcastle came up and and did well because I think that he's going to be a pretty good guy moving forward, and um, I don't know that the walk rate's going to last like you guys said but even if it doesn't i still think um you're gonna get a guy who can probably hit you 20 home runs fairly consistently um um, especially if the ball is still juiced so there's there's that aspect of it too because he had 25 home runs with a juiced ball in triple a in 2019 but but uh, i i think that i think he's a hitter and, and so i i'm very happy he did well yeah, I think too. It's worth pointing out the twenty-one percent strikeout rate. We kind of lamented that the walk rate may be a little unsustainable, and it's possible the strikeout rate is too. But twenty-one percent for a, a masher like him is uh, great. That's fantastic. You don't see a lot of guys post that uh, who who hit the ball as hard as he does. So that's an encouraging note going forward. Uh, number sixty-nine on our list was Dalton Varsho of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I was going to say catcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He did catch. He caught enough games last year to still be uh, eligible in most formats. He also played a lot of center field. A very unique profile for Dalton Varsho. Uh, unfortunately, the hit, the stick just wasn't really there in the big league cameo. 37 games, he had under 200. Uh, three home runs and three steals, though, which three steals as an outfielder isn't great. Three steals in a 60-game season as a catcher, pretty great. So that's kind of what you get with Varsho is if he sticks behind the plate, continues to have el- eligibility behind the plate, and steals you a handful of bases, you're probably going to deal with the other stuff. Now, obviously, the batting average needs to come up, and it probably will. Uh, Varsho is a guy that I like. I wasn't thrilled with what we saw this year, but I think that uh, the best is still yet to come. Uh, Trevor, what do you think? Uh, well, to show you how much you should trust my opinion on Dalton Varsho, I didn't <laughs> know he was an outfielder. I didn't know he could even play outfield until he started playing outfield in the majors. So it's certainly interesting. Um, I had not heard of a catcher center fielder and this is not that long ago, but since the Tigers drafted Dylan Dingler, who was a catcher center fielder for Ohio State. So <laughs> yeah. I like the dynamic. Um, people like his bat. I'm going to let you guys speak on it because you don't want to trust my advice on Dalton Varsho. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've always been a fan, but I think it's more of like a fantasy uh, kind of player kind of fan because he kind of, you know, can still play catcher. Um, I do think that he's a really good hitter. Um, and the stolen bases thing is just like really cool. Um, hmm. uh, I, I, I really wasn't expecting too much from him again because it was that you know that double A to the majors jump and the Diamondbacks they didn't really play him at the beginning, uh, you know, too much, and then they weren't into it, uh, you know, it, you know, into like the playoff run or whatever. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm still a fan. I'm just. Um, just don't look at this year. Um, I think that he's better than what he showed this year. I think with Farsho, uh, as long as he keeps catcher eligibility, you should be in, in dynasty leagues. You should be invested in him. If he ever loses that eligibility, then then it's that's more of a question. But yeah, uh, a guy with speed who can uh, who is catcher eligible will always be at least somewhat interesting in deeper leagues. Uh, and I think the bat will catch up, and he'll be a guy that worth worth rostering going forward. But it wasn't quite there this year. Yeah. Number 76, uh, Cabrian Hayes on our list. Uh, Hayes was a guy that was lauded more for his, I think more for his defense than his hitting coming into the major leagues. 
uh, a guy with some power, a little bit of speed, but was never really expected to be uh, much with the stick. Proved that wrong, at least in his first 24 major league games. He hit 376, 442 on base percentage. Really awesome debut from Cabrian Hayes. Uh, Shelly, you wrote about him for a recent article at Pitcher List. I'm just curious, you know, I think you've been high on him in the past. And just what did you see from him this year? And, and where do you think you want to rank him going forward? Uh, yeah, um, this has been like one of my guys that I might actually get right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to be, you know, a, you know, a card key boom stan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, this so this guy I might actually get right. Like Brian Hayes, I've always been a fan. Um, uh, you know, the, he's going to be able to play every day because of that glove. Um, and then the power that he's shown since, you know, debuting in 2017, it's his average fly ball distance has steadily improved every single year. Um, and then, I mean, if you look just at the numbers, it's more doubles power than home runs power. <laughs> but he totally jumped his doubles from 16 to 31 in one year, uh, going from high A to double A. Um, and then, the, as I said, the fly ball distance was getting better. Um, and then this, you know, he makes his debut. He hits a lot of home runs. Doubles is, are the uh, is, is there as well. I'm just a total fan of this guy. Um, I watched as many Pirates games as I could because I'm insane and I watch Pirates games this year. <laughs> uh, and he just looked like totally calm and cool at the plate. Uh, he did not look uh, phased whatsoever. Just being in the majors, he totally killed it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't obviously I don't expect him to hit, you know, 376. But yeah, I mean, if you could get like 280 to 90, you know, with double digit home runs, maybe a few stolen bases and just playing every day, mm-hmm. uh, probably hitting second or third in the Pirates lineup. The dude is going to hit like I, I'm just a huge fan. Uh, I mentioned before, I love being wrong. I was wrong <laughs> with with Key Brian Hayes. Um, and that's the cool thing about prospects is you're wrong. It usually means they're doing well. <laughs> and yeah. You want to cheer for people to do well at their, at their profession. But uh, yeah, for Hayes, um, there's not a whole lot I can add. Obviously I thought that he would be a, a, a high floor guy just because his glove would get him at bats. Um, and so he would definitely get plenty of opportunity to show what he is offensively. And I think one thing that really never gets talked about with him uh, is his bloodlines. And that's, that's, you know, uh, that's something that you can't quantify or or um, really tell you how much it matters, but he does have MLB bloodlines. And I think that's something important that doesn't get brought up because uh, that's a lot of experience from a young age of what happens, you know, uh, around the MLB. So um, it doesn't surprise me that he's doing well. It won't surprise me if he continues to do well. Um, and I really hope he does. I wonder, this just popped in my head and now I sort of want to do a research article on it. Uh, obviously, you know, major league bloodlines certainly matter in the long term, but I wonder how impactful they are on the guys like first 50 games in the major leagues, because that's when guys are really shell shocked and guys are really like trying to adjust on the fly. And a guy like Brian Hayes, who was probably in a big league dugout when he was five, you know, like how, how much does that matter? I'm really, cause obviously Hayes, I mean, 376 through 24 games is insane. And I'm wondering how much that is just of not being as shell shocked by it, you know. So maybe, maybe, maybe that'll be an off season project that somebody can take on. Uh, I want to see how much it matters. Get Pat Mahomes in the batter's box and see what he does. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, 
Um, before we move on on Hayes really quickly, because there was a lot of National League third base talk uh, between Hayes and Alec Baum and Carter Keboom, I'm curious just if you guys want to really quickly rank them one to three going forward. Uh, Shelly, I know this might be hard for you, but I'm going to start with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, it's going to be Hayes, uh, Boom, Keboom. I, I love I love Hayes, and I'm very just down on Phillies prospects. Sorry, Phillies fans. <laughs> Trevor? Uh, I go Boom, Hayes, Keboom. Yeah, yeah um, I think I'm, I think I'm in terms of fantasy because I feel like Bohm's bat is a little bit better. Yeah, I think I'm Bohm Hayes Keyboom, but I think it is it, it it's arguably pretty close up there. Unfortunately, I think Keyboom is definitely third, which is a bummer. Yeah, it is. More guys in our top 100. Uh, Jesus Sanchez was number 86. Uh, he only played in 10 games, so it's not. I don't know that we can glean too much from this season for him, uh, other than he did make his major league debut, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. I thought we'd see Jazz. I thought we'd see Monty Harrison, which we did. Uh, but we also got to see a little look at Jesus Sanchez. Uh, only 22 years old. Uh, again, 25 at bats. So he only got one hit. So his batting average is horrible. His on base percentage is 172. Uh, but again, I, I think the more notable thing is that the Marlins called him up and gave him a little bit of a look. Uh, so I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are, if they've changed at all on Sanchez. Uh, Trevor, we'll start with you. No, they haven't really changed. Um, I was a little surprised Sanchez came up, but uh, for the most part, I think he'll still be ranked around where he was ranked this season. Um, and I, I don't think there's any real reason to worry about it one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm just kind of like staying pat with him. Um, I think it might have been like a COVID Miami thing is why he was kind of called up. But uh, yeah, just kind of staying pat with him. That makes sense. Uh, number 88, Austin Hayes. Uh, Hayes was a guy that I was super high on coming into the year. Uh, I think I had him in three, three or f maybe four out of the five leagues that I played in. Uh, big late round guy for me. Uh, we saw glimpses of it. Obviously, he had the big injury stint, which hurt his uh, hurt his campaign quite a bit. Uh, but when he came back from the injured list, which was in mid-September, uh, he hit 377 with three of his four home runs in the last two <laughs> weeks of the season. So he was well off most of my rosters by then, so that's a bummer. But uh, definitely some glimpses of what he can be mixed with some of the, the floor things that we've seen from him as well. Uh, I think I'm going to be targeting him a lot in late rounds in 2021 going forward. Uh, Shelly, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I felt the same way. I had him um, in a you know a couple late rounds of regional leagues. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm still a fan. I, I I still believe in the guy. You know, maybe some home runs, stolen bases as well. I think it's a good uh, late round flyer for redraft leagues. Another prospect fatigue guy, obviously, because he's been getting stints for yeah. what, two, three, seven, ten years yeah. now. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I mentioned he and Mountcastle were, were two big people that, that uh, I would get asked about. And heading into this year, I was like, Andy, I was I was high on him. I was saying, you know, I, I really like him. If you can get him late, I, w I would absolutely do that. I don't think I would say that um, this, uh, this next year. I think he'd be one of those guys where if he doesn't get drafted, he would immediately go on a watch list and that would be the end of it. And I just kind of pay attention to see, but um, I, I'm kind of a little more down on him now after this year. Yeah. It, it'll depend too on, on what the, what the Orioles do with their outfield. Obviously Anthony Santander has looked so good, uh, but I, I'm still intrigued. I think in deeper leagues, you could take that look, but yeah, maybe, maybe he's a good watch list guy more than anything else. 
we're moving into the the guys who were 100 or later. There was 157 players on our composite top 100 list because not everybody had the same 100 guys, obviously. Uh, because we've been already talking for an hour and 15 minutes, we'll probably go a little bit quicker on these guys. I do know that Trevor has a take that he wants to say on Luis Campusano, who was number 100 on our list. He obviously only played in one game during the regular season. He did hit a home run, did get hit by a pitch, a strange but fun debut for Campusano before he got hurt. Um, 22 years old, a guy that I know a lot of people really like. Trevor, I'm dying to hear your take, so I'm going to go to you first. Well, I want you to forget everything I've ever said about catchers. Um, no, <laughs> Campusano, I have been saying this for at least two years now, maybe one year. It's been a very weird year, but I've been saying it forever. I think that Luis Campusano in, by this point, three or four years will be the best hitting catcher in baseball. Oh, okay. That's I'm a, a blanket statement over that. It's, it's a bold, bold statement. I really like Campusano's bat. Um, I was very happy when he got called up. I think that he does not get enough credit for how good his hit tool is, and that will obviously play into the power. We saw a major league debut where he hit a home run after not playing above uh, high A last year. So I really love him offensively, um, and I have him right now as the Padres' number two prospect behind Mackenzie Gore. So those are my takes on Luis Campusano. (laughs) Bill, you got to follow that up with better takes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I've been really high on Campisano, maybe not that high, uh, but <laughs> I, I love the dude. Um, I love when he, when he was called up. I was like, yes, the Padres are going for it. He hit that mm-hmm. home run in that first game. I was like, yes, yes, finally, Campisano is coming up. And then he went on, you know, on the injured list, and I was quite sad. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that he is definitely the catcher of the future for the Padres. Uh, I, I, I love the dude, um, and I'm I'm glad to hear that Trevor feels the same way, <laughs> maybe even higher. I, I love the dude. It's it's a bold, it's a hot take, but I've I've said it once and I'm sticking to it. I think it's, I mean, it, it is a hot take, but I don't think it's like insane. I could see it. I think it's vaguely realistic. And we have 14 more guys who were on our top 157 list uh, that I want to talk about, and then three other guys who didn't make our list. Uh, we'll go a little bit rapid fire so this doesn't go uh, too long since we still got to do all the pictures for another episode. Uh, next up was at 102 overall was Jose Garcia for Cincinnati Reds. Uh, 24 games uh, really just didn't hit well at all. Uh, less than 2% walk rate, uh, 39% strikeout rate, hit under 200. Uh, I just think he wasn't ready. He's never played above high A. Uh, Shelly, I know that you have some uh, some Reds fandom in your family, so <laughs> I'm going to throw to you first on, on Garcia. <laughs> yeah, uh, when it comes to uh, Jose Garcia, I, I, I love the guy, and I do think that he is the shortstop of the future for the Reds. But this year, he just looked lost. Um, I just, like you said, I just don't think that he was ready. Um, he'll probably mm-hmm. start the, you know, next year in the minors. But the dude is still good. Don't let this, you know, twenty-four game sample size sway you. Yeah, no, very good player. Not ready. That's all I got. Yeah, I think that's uh, that. That's yeah, I'm glad we all feel the same way. I think that was pretty obviously the situation here. Uh, number 106 overall was Isak Paredes for the Detroit Tigers. I want to shout out really quickly that my bold prediction uh, for my article that I wrote before the season for Pitcher List was that Paredes would be the Tigers' starting third baseman by August 15th. Garden Hire and the Tigers called him up on August 17th, so I took the win. I decided <laughs> that that counts as a win because he was a 21-year-old kid who got called up probably too early. And the reason you can tell is because he was not good. He hit 220 
Uh, and that was partly a late season surge. His batting average was sub 200 for most of the season. Uh, it's, it's really similar to Garcia. I think just a, a good hitter, a talented guy, just not quite ready. I think Paredes' ceiling is, is maybe a little bit lower because that speed is not there. Uh, I think the power will be adequate in time. Uh, and the profile is decent, good walk rate, low strikeout rate. But, uh, yeah, I just don't think he's quite ready. Trevor, what do you think? Um, I would tend to disagree. Um, I think he was ready. I think I do think that Garcia has the higher ceiling. But I think um, with Paredes, he – He's a patient hitter. He doesn't, you know, his strikeout walk rate were kind of identical in the minors. He put together some very professional at-bats. Trust me, I sat through so many Tigers games, which is a form of torture in some countries, but I did. And he was putting together some really good at-bats. And, you know, he's very smooth at the plate, and he has some of the best barrel control that I have ever seen. I, You know how uh, you talk about people who can't give up on, like, a Lewis Brinson or a, a Byron Buxton or whoever mm-hmm. else, even though they're never going to be what you think they are, I will sit in that camp with Isak Paredes. Kelly, <laughs> thoughts on Paredes? Um, yeah, um, I, 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 I still think he needs a good little bit of time. I do think that he's a better hitter um, mm. than he showed this year. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, just needs a little bit more seasoning. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm. I tend to lean a little bit more towards Trevor than maybe I initially said. But yeah, I think his numbers didn't quite bear out how good of a hitter he is. But there's still some things to work on. But he, his yeah, his line drive rate in this even in this little cameo was was really solid. He he barrels the ball up really well. 109 was Jorge Mateo, a guy that I have been stupidly high on for a long time, and I think I'm finally just crashing on. I think the prospect fatigue for me is very real. I just I, I he hit 154. In 24 games, uh, I was probably too high on him to begin this season. Uh, he didn't hit any home runs. He swiped one base. Uh, we're talking 80 grade speed on Jorge Mateo. That's the big appeal here. Is a guy with legitimate top line, top of the line speed and power that he showed, like kind of in spurts in the minor leagues. But the Padres played him every position in the outfield. They played him at second base. He DH'd some games, but at the end of the day, the results just weren't there. I think he's probably a a platoon bench guy. Is honestly, I think. Maybe, maybe his future here. I mean, he's, he's 24, 25. I'm not sure, uh, but he's not young anymore. He's been a top prospect since like 2017. So that's where that fatigue sets in. But just a guy that I'm, I, I can't get excited about anymore. Shelly, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I've never really been the biggest fan. I mean, I like the stolen bases, but I mean, he spent the last two seasons and triple a, but he mm-hmm. wasn't called up by right. the A's, which kind of was like, hmm, what's going on there? And then they traded him. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I really do think that he's a platoon pinch guy, unfortunately. I think if you could find a way to calculate the hopes and dreams you have for a player, Jorge Mateo would be the best fantasy baseball player in the history of the world. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean... It's just one of those things where it doesn't work out, whether it's because he didn't get the opportunity at the right time or just whatever. But yeah, no, definitely down on Jorge Mateo. Yeah, it could be could be a post-type sleeper guy in a year or two, but just not a guy I'm, I'm ready to to do anything with right now. Number 112 on our list, Andres Jimenez. He had a really good season, a guy that I'm like, it's shocking to see him behind Jorge Mateo on this list, you know, uh, 105 WRC plus three home runs, uh, swiped eight bases in 49 games, played pretty much the entire season. Uh, the power was great, or excuse me, the defense was great. 
probably need a little bit more in the power department for him to be like a true fantasy star, but a guy that I'm definitely paying a lot more attention to now than I was before the season. Uh, Trevor, what do you think? Uh, he was a guy that I, I picked up when I had injuries. Um, and I think that might be his fantasy ceiling is a guy that you can comfortably put in there and redraft if he's not owned to, you know, fill in when you need somebody. Um, yeah, I was surprised he got called up. Not a guy I knew really a lot about, but uh, I mean, a, a really nice debut in terms of being a baseball player, because sometimes we forget that fantasy and, and being a baseball player aren't necessarily the same thing. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was surprised that the Mets uh, called him up the be- at the beginning of the season. Um, I saw him down in uh, the AFL for a couple couple games, and he looked pretty good. Uh, but like, he really struggled in Double A last year. So I'm like, I just don't know if this is just you know hitting in a hitter's environment. But um, yeah, I mean, he hit the ground running. Uh, he you know he stole you know. Uh, like five bases, like within like his first couple games, um, still eight overall. Um, I was just really impressed and I wasn't expected to be this impressed. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really made me like rethink. It's like, is he the starting shortstop or is Ahmed Rosario going to be the starting shortstop next year? Um, And I never thought that that would be a question. So yeah, I was, I was really impressed with his debut. 113 was Luis Garcia for the Washington Nationals. I know Trevor said he, the Nationals are a bit of a gap for him, so of course I'm going to make him talk about Garcia. Uh, 20 years old, and he hit 276 in the major leagues. Uh, that is awesome. You don't see a lot of dudes who are 20 years old who really I don't think anybody expected to be in the big leagues this season. It was kind of shocking to see the Nationals do that. Um, you know, We didn't see a ton in the power or speed department. Uh, we didn't see uh, – he, he doesn't draw walks very well. But 20 years old, I think that's the big emphasis here is that for him to have any level of success in the major leagues at that age should be pretty darn exciting going forward. Trevor, like I said, I'm going to make you go first here. That's fine. Um, I <laughs> thought the uh, not the Luis Garcia I thought that we might see this year. I thought he was going to be a pitcher for the Astros, and we did see that <laughs> Luis Garcia also. Um, you know, and coming in, he got called up, and I immediately went to uh, uh, Prospects Live to see what they said about him and his. Uh, uh, abilities as a baseball player and put it on Twitter. And that's the extent of my knowledge about Luis Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. L- L- Luis Garcia, he's like always been kind of interesting because I mean, he really came onto the scene um, in 2018 in low A and high A. He was, you know, hitting extremely well, but he's really struggled against lefties. And then the nationals um, like promoted him to double a which was extremely aggressive which is what they do usually with guys they, that they really really like um mm. he was the youngest guy in the league um until elliot ramos came you know later in the season um mm. he he struggled um he was definitely more of like a contact hitter the power kind of you know regressed a little bit but it was starting to come on like towards like the later part of last year um, I don't think power will ever be part of his game. I think he's just really going to be one of those kind of like slap hitters, contact hitters kind of thing. Good average, uh, maybe a stolen base or two, but I really just think that he's just going to be a average guy. Um, so if the you know Nationals can put a good lineup together, maybe he could get some runs or something like that. But I think he's going to be more average guy than anything else. Number 121 on our list was Dodgers catcher Kiebert Ruiz. 
Uh, Ruiz went two for eight with a home run in the two games that he played for the Dodgers. Again, can't really glean anything from two games. Um, the big question for, for me, at least for Ruiz, is is he going to play? You know, the Dodgers obviously have good young catching talent, Will Smith, and I'm just like I'm concerned. Is he going to be a guy who is still like still prospect eligible when he's 25 and he's 22 now? Like that's the biggest question I have for him. But the dude can obviously hit. He's he's been a fantastic hitter throughout the minor leagues. Um, I, I just I'm worried about the the playing time personally. Shelly, what do you think? Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, like coming up through the minors, I was kind of always like a little bit higher on Will Smith than I was on Kiebert Reese. Mm. Um, I didn't think that Will Smith was going to be what he did like this year uh, kind of thing. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I just honestly think that either he's going to be traded or there's going to be uh, he's going to be like a backup to Will Smith and they're going to basically split the time 50-50. It's uh, honestly, unless he gets traded, um, I don't really see the you know dynasty uh, uh, value with him. Yeah, you guys hit the nail on the head. He plays for the Dodgers, so that's kind <laughs> of the question mark enough for me to move on and make sure that I own Luis Campusano in every league possible. <laughs> there you go. One twenty-three on our list was Shirt and Apostle, third baseman for the Texas Rangers. Uh, was really shocked to see him. Like I, I, I didn't rank them, but if I was making a list of guys, I was most surprised to see in the major leagues. I think him and Garcia are probably near the top of that list. Um, he didn't play exceptionally well. It was only seven games. Again, a tiny, tiny sample size. Uh, for me, I'm curious if Apostle will even be in the big leagues much in 2021. The Rangers are, are such an odd team. They uh, they should they should be tearing it down and just try just going from just building a minor league system and going from there because they're just not ready to compete in the AOS with what they have right now I don't think but you know is Apostle at 21 years old ready to be a big league regular I don't know uh, my value on him in Dynasty hasn't changed uh, but I'm I think there's some people who are like oh he's going to be a guy in 2021 and I'm I'm not super sold on that Trevor what do you think big shirt yeah no I don't think he's going to be a guy in 2021. <laughs> I love Shirt and Apostle, and I I don't say that about many Rangers prospects. Um, (laughs) I I really don't like their system. Their their major league team is what they are, but it's it's. I love Apostle. Um, I thought it was weird that he got called up and got the opportunity. Never upset because you know I like prospects. You like prospects. You like seeing them. But uh, no, definitely not worried about him, and definitely not a 2021 guy in my opinion. Yeah, I am. Um, um, I totally agree with with Trevor there. I was shocked when I saw it come up through my Twitter feed that he was getting called up. I was like, uh, "Really? Okay, uh, okay, Texas, do you, do you?" Uh, but yeah, I don't <laughs> think that um, he's really going to see a lot of time next year. Number one twenty seven on our list was Sam Hilliard. Oh man, <laughs> so Sam Hilliard. I, I was so high on him. Like, I don't stake my name super like I don't try to be like it's like Eric Cross you you there's certain players that you just associate with his name Bryant Packard you associate with Trevor Carter Keeboom you so associate with Shelly and I have tried to avoid that for these exact reasons but <laughs> Sam Hilliard was a guy that I think I counted seven articles at Pitcher List that I wrote about Sam Hilliard in some capacity uh, and then he went out and hit 210 in 36 games, he didn't do anything. He struck out 37% of the time. And obviously, Rockies prospects are not who you should attach your wagon to. And that's my bad. That's just, uh, yeah, I should have known that. Uh, I saw Ian Desmond opting out, and I got so excited. Like, yes, all right, he's going to be the dude. He's going to win the NL Rookie of the Year, which was my prediction. Uh, and then they signed Matt Kemp like an hour later because the Rockies hate young people. 
Um, so it was, it was a bummer. Like, again, I'm not, I, I can't blame the Rockies hundred percent. He didn't hit well when he got his opportunities. Um, he's now he's 26. He's in a crowded outfield in Colorado. Uh, the strikeout stuff is concerning. Uh, there's still some power. There's still some speed. I think that alone gives him some intrigue, but yeah, it's hard to not be pretty sour after this season. Uh, Shelly, what did you think? Yeah. Um, I, was kind of coming on to the Hear You Beard bandwagon like late mm. last year. But yeah, just knowing that he's 26 um, mm. and honestly, just knowing that he plays for Colorado, I'm just like, yeah, it, it kind of stinks. Uh, I was, yeah, I was hoping for good things, but just didn't happen. And Andy, to your credit, I mean, you, he is a guy with, with big, probably plus raw power. Um, yeah. And I don't know that he'll ever hit enough to access that plus raw power, but I'm sure mm-hmm. he'll have enough power to be relevant. But, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, he plays for the Rockies. Yeah. <laughs> well, and plus raw power in Colorado, you can get the appeal. But yeah, it's, 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 it's I'm, I'm a lot less high on him than I was before. Number 128 on our list was Jake Fraley, a guy that I have been exceptionally low on. I hate feeling validated for being right when a guy was bad. Like, that doesn't feel good, you know? Uh, I was baffled as a Mariners uh, person who follows the Mariners really closely. I was baffled that he wasn't the starting right fielder when the season started. I thought that was kind of like in the bag that Fraley and Lewis were both going to start for the Mariners, especially with Mitch Hanniger out. But now you have a guy that the Mariners didn't play. He played seven games in a season where they didn't have Taylor Trammell, they didn't have Jared Kelenic, they didn't have Mitch Hanniger, they didn't have Julio Rodriguez. Now all of those guys are closer to the major leagues. I'm super out here. I, got, I, I think I've already made it pretty clear, but I'm like, I don't. there's not playing time for him in Seattle. Maybe Jerry DePoto will trade him, but I, you just didn't see enough of him w- with the stick in the last two seasons to, to feel very confident. Maybe, maybe you guys disagree, but that's how I feel. Shelly, what do you think? Uh, no, I agree. Um, I was kind of high on Fraley coming into this year, mm-hmm. but seeing that he, you know, he didn't really play that much and he didn't even make like the opening day roster, did he? Oh, he wasn't up until like yeah. mid, yeah, late in the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, as soon as I saw that he didn't make the opening day roster, I'm like, oh, they definitely must know something that I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, ever since then, I'm just like, okay, I will trust the team over my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Jake Fraley, not even on my radar at the beginning of the year. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how that was my kind of where I am. Um, I think this is a bad comparison, but I think at best you're hoping for a Nick Madrigal type with less ability to hit the ball and more mm-hmm. strikeouts. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of what it is. And especially with Kyle Lewis and, uh, you know, Kellen at, uh, Kalanick, Kalanich, um, J-Rod, whoever else. I don't know that he's ever even going to see the light of day playing time-wise to get to prove who he is with the Mariners. Yeah, I kind of think that like if their outfield comes together exactly the way they want it, Taylor Trammell is your fourth outfielder behind Lewis, Kalanick, and J-Rod. And if that's the case, then Fraley's just there's – no, there's nowhere for him to play. There's just no room at all. Yeah. Number 141 on the list was one of the most interesting guys. Uh, I know we're trying to speed through those last guys, but it's going to be hard to speed through Jake Cronenworth, who I think only won, and I think it was you, Trevor. I'm trying to give you credit. Uh, I think you were the only person who even had him in your top 100 list uh, before the season started, Uh, but then obviously he turned around and hit 285 with four home runs, three stolen bases, uh, potential NL Rookie of the Year candidate, 
Uh, he had an awesome season. His Statcast numbers are staggering. He's been a huge source of contention among the uh, fantasy baseball Twitter uh, uh, landscape because of how well he did on Statcast and how much people are buying into him for next year. I'm really curious what your guys' thoughts are because this was a really kind of out of nowhere season for a, a older pop up prospect. Uh, Shelly, I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I, I was kind of on Jake Cronenworth when I when he got uh, well when he was with Tampa, um, mm-hmm. and then when he got traded, like I was like, oh, this should be like a really fun guy for San Diego because you know he could play a little bit of second and he can also pitch, so it could, right. you know be kind of like this really cool two way player kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like he totally. I never really expected him to uh, do what he did. Um, he still has a little bit of trouble against lefties. Um, he, uh, you know, strikes out about, you know, 20, 23% of the time versus about 10% of the time against righties. Um, so that's kind of like his bugaboo. Um, but I'm, I'm a fan. I think this is the second baseman going forward for San Diego for a couple seasons. Yeah, I'd agree just because I think they traded who I thought was their second baseman moving forward, and that was uh, Owen Miller. Um, mm-hmm. if, I, if I did have Cronenworth in my top 100, and I don't remember if I did or not, then all the praise goes to uh, my buddy Diego Solaris, because he, he would have sold me on him. He loves Cronenworth. Um, <laughs> I would probably sell high if you can, and I wouldn't touch him in drafts, because I think he's going to be way overvalued for what you're going to get. Um but I will say that that with all the injuries happening with the uh, Padres pitching staff, I'm just really hoping he gets an inning. He was Michigan's closer, and I just <laughs> want him to get on the mound for an inning. I don't think it'll happen, but like if they need an arm, like they have an arm. Yeah, I I was I really enjoyed watching Cronin with this year. I was really excited to see Trevor. I was trying to give you credit. Of course, you deflect to give credit to somebody else. I love that. I. I'm not going to take that high road. I was the one who had Bobby Dahlbeck in the top 100. <laughs> He's number 144 on our list. Um, Dahlbeck is another guy kind of like not – I'm not comparing him to Madrigal. I want to be very uh, distinct there. But in the sense of he did exactly what I thought he would do. Nick Madrigal did exactly what I thought he would do. So did Bobby Dahlbeck. He hit eight home runs in 23 games, which that's – that's I mean, that's a 50 home run pace. He's probably not going to keep that up. But he also walked 11% of the time, which is good. And he struck struck out 42% of the time, which is kind of what I expected. I think that will probably come down a little bit, hopefully. Um, but he's a true three true outcome slugger, a dude who walks a lot, strikes out a lot, hits a lot of home runs. Uh, I enjoyed watching him, uh, Shelly. I got to imagine you enjoyed watching him as well as somebody who's followed the Red Sox. So, uh, what what are your thoughts here? Uh, yeah, um, like you said, like he did what I thought that he was going to do. Um, maybe not the you know forty two percent K percentage uh, there, uh, but I, I really do think that you're going to get a lot of power because as soon as that his bat hits the ball, it just really just goes out of the park. He has immense power. Um, he still has a little bit to, to, to work on with the strikeout rates and OBP leagues. He's going to be great. Um, I am, I just need to see a little bit more because I just remember, uh, Michael Chavis. Uh, he kind of did the same thing when he came up and then he really struggled. So next year's really going to be, uh, kind of interesting, but I still like Dalbeck better than Chavis. So, um, I'm still a fan. Dahlbeck is just such a Red Sox prospect. I mean, Chavis, uh, Dahlbeck, and now they went and got Hudson Potts. Like, they're all the same player in my mind. And and I'm always wary of guys like Dahlbeck who are 
if they're going to get value, they're going to have to probably somewhat mirror Joey Gallo, which is just not an easy thing to do. It's it's nearly yeah. impossible. And so uh, I'm always wary on Dalbeck, but I'm going to use my spotlight here to highlight Nick York because he was a surprise <laughs> draft pick, and I am yes. going to be hyping him up so much. Uh, the Please Red Sox, do. No, the Red <laughs> seriously, the Red Sox um, were one of the only teams to like stream their alternate site games, and mm-hmm. Nick York was hitting everything. Yeah. Um, so he and Casas both, I'm going to hype up so much, but Dalbeck and Potts and, and Chavis, I'm going to back off on. Fair. Yep. 146, since I was singing my praises for listing Dahlbeck in my top 100, I think I was the only one who had Monty Harrison in my top 100 too, and he had a really disastrous season. Uh, so, you know, gotta, <laughs> gotta uh, admit those ones as well. He was a risky top 100 guy because, you know, the floor is really low with him and the ceiling is could be really high. But, you know, you look at, you know, you talked about earlier, Shelly, with the, the Marlins, like, can they turn these guys who don't have huge hit tools but have a lot of other tools into major league regulars? And thus far, the answer is no. They haven't been able to do that. And Brinson is the most notable example that they've had so far. But Harrison, I mean, 32 games, is it's not a huge sample, but it's not tiny. And he struck out 51% of the time. That's really, <laughs> really, really, really bad. <laughs> like that, again, if he struck out 51% of the time in four games or whatever, that's fine. But 32 games is enough of a sample that that should be very alarming. And he hit 170 because when you strike out 50% of the time, you're not going to hit very well. Um, you know, home run, six steals, which is fine. But I, he's not he's not worth anything unless he can uh, cut down on the strikeouts in a fan, from a fantasy perspective. And until I see that happen, which I'm a lot less confident will, I'm kind of I'm pretty out here. Trevor, what do you think? So Harrison, dating back to his days with the Brewers, has always been this streaky hitter where he will go on these long tears and you think, man, he's going to be great, and then he will just go ice cold, and and really there's no in between. And I don't think that's going to change throughout any chances he gets. I think he'll he'll always show flashes of the athleticism and the ability that make people so high on him. But I don't think that I would personally ever be rostering him just because you can't predict when he's going to be the Monty Harrison that you want to have on your fantasy right. team. I He's one of my favorite personalities in baseball, yeah. uh, bar none. Yeah. But uh, in terms of a player, he can be fantastic. But he's he's throughout his career to me shown that he's going to either be fantastic or he's going to be nothing, and that's just tough. Yeah, yeah, he's just he's just way too volatile for me. And knowing that he's already twenty five years old, uh, kind of you know, kind of puts me off from a dynasty uh, uh, aspect. So yeah, sure. unfortunately, yeah, I'm afraid uh, if you can't kind of sell him for anything, I kind of would. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. Number 152 on our list was Jared Oliva from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Oliva came up right at the end of the season, snuck in there, went three for 16 in six games. A 24-year-old guy, Pirates are obviously not in a p- position where they're really contending all that much. Uh, I'm curious more, like, I, again, I, I can't imagine either of you have changed your opinion after 16 at-bats, but I'm curious more if you guys think he's going to be a, a, a guy right away for this team in 2021, and if so, like, are you going to check in on him? Or are you going to kind of see on the wait, watch list kind of what, what your thoughts are on him for next season? Trevor, we'll go with you first. Um, yeah, my thoughts on him haven't changed too much. He's always been a guy for me that I don't know that I would have loved from a fantasy perspective. Um, sure. Got some speed, but, um, you know, if, if speed's not something you're looking for and it usually isn't something I, I seek out, um, 
I, I don't know that I'm going to you know, love what he's going to bring offensively. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been kind of a, a fan of him because um, I think that he can bring like a decent average and, you know, double digit stolen bases. I mean, he's stolen like, uh, you know, over 30 the past two seasons. Um, I don't think that he's going to do that in the majors. But, you know, if you get a, you know, I don't know, a 260 average with 15 stolen bases, that's not too bad as maybe like your fourth or fifth outfield on your uh, dynasty uh, league. And I do think that he's going to probably get um, a lot of running time next year. Number 154, the last hitter who was on our top 157 who made his major league debut. We do have a few other guys we're going to talk about real quick, but first we're going to talk about Brent Rooker, who debuted for the Minnesota Twins this year. Uh, Rooker hit 316 in seven games. He did hit a home run. He had five RBIs. Uh, obviously a tiny sample size for Rooker. 25-year-old guy at this point, though, so I'm really curious. Like, It feels like if he's not – if he doesn't have a roster spot or like a, a starting job or at least like strong side platoon numbers in 2021, like – it's really like, your patience is going to wear thin with a guy like this. Eventually, uh, obviously we saw Alex Kuriloff. I didn't include him because he didn't make his debut until the playoffs, but the twins have some free agents who are going to leave. I'm curious at this point, how you think about Rooker and if you think it's going to require a trade for him to play or, or where you're on, where you are on him right now, Shelly, what do you think? Um, for me, it really honestly depends on what the twins do sure. um, in the off season, but um yeah honestly long term i don't think that he has like a lot of run because i mean kirilov is i definitely think the better player and mm-hmm. you know he can really just play first base same as rooker so yep. uh yeah it, but it was a good debut i enjoyed i enjoyed watching it it was um, a surprising debut and um those seven games were um really nice at least from an mm-hmm. average standpoint uh, my only worry with rooker well there's probably a few more than one but the big <laughs> one is you know where he's going to play. I don't know that he'll ever be defensively good enough where the Twins are going to want him anywhere but DH. If if in a you know perfect world, especially when you have Kirilov there who can play first and um, love the power, love the uh, walk rates that he showed in the minors. Um, obviously, twenty-one plate appearances. You can't take his zero walks to mean anything, but uh, he does walk. He does have power. So I think if he can get at bats, it'll be interesting. But I don't know defensively what, what you're going to do with him. Um, and I worry that he's just a, a career DH if he's going to get time. Right, so that was it for our players on our top 157 list who debuted this year as hitters, at least. We'll talk about the pitchers later this week. Uh, there are a couple other players that I want to highlight really quickly because we've been talking for a really long time. Uh, <laughs> first up is Alejandro Kirk. He was a catching prospect for the Minnesota Twins, William Astadio, Williams Astadio esque in the sense that he does not have any power. He hits for a really high batting average, doesn't have much strikeout or walk potential. Uh, he hit 375 in nine games. The big thing that I just want to ask you guys about from a dynasty perspective here is you're looking at a team that has Danny Jansen, they have Reese McGuire, and then they, now they have Alejandro Kirk. I know they also have some other catching prospects uh, who are pretty highly ranked in their system as well. Is Alejandro Kirk a guy who's going to play in 2021? Do you think that he's going to be, I mean, he's 21 years old. Is he going to be a guy that they rely on a lot? Is he going to be back in the minor leagues? Just kind of what are your thoughts on him uh, in the immediate future? Shelly, we'll start with you. Yeah, Kirk has always been like kind of interesting. I will give a a hat tip to uh, my dynasty guru, uh, uh, you know, uh, podcast guy that I, you know, 
talk with a lot uh jordan rosenblum he's always been a fan of his um yeah i i i honestly i do think that the blue jays are going to give him a run and i think it's going to be split between jansen and him uh kirk mm-hmm. is really not that great defensively like at all mm-hmm. so if you could put kirk at like dh that would be ideal because the dude knows how to hit yeah um, but i i do think that he's going to get you know you know maybe some backup uh catching um opportunities over mcguire but i think it might be jansen kirk ever thoughts on that one yeah i think he hit his way into an opportunity to um play more uh kind of in the same manner that that astudio did when he first came up he hit well enough i think to earn another chance and so I think he'll play. I don't know what the production will be, but he's definitely earned it. Uh, last two guys, Kyle Lewis and Randy Arazarena. Um, I lump them together. <laughs> it feels weird because at the start of the season, uh, Kyle Lewis was obviously like one of the most exciting players in all of baseball, and Arazarena was not in the major leagues. And then now, you know, especially into the playoffs, Arazarena is one of the most exciting players in baseball, and Kyle Lewis, as the Mariners have done for the last two decades, is not playing baseball anymore. Uh, I, it's a, it's a weird comparison. They're not super similar players, uh, in, a, in some ways, but also, you know, they both have pretty high strikeout rates. Uh, I'm curious what your guys's evaluation of both of them is going forward. Like a we had seven home runs, four steals from him. He hit 281 in the regular season. Lewis only hit 262, but he did have 11 home runs and five steals. Obviously he played more of the regular season. Uh, if you guys just each want to give a quick, like, where you think those guys are going forward. Uh, I'll start with you, Trevor. I know you're a big Arasarania guy. Yeah, I'm big on both of them, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. I, I Lewis is the one guy I think I got right this year because I was drafting him everywhere, and, and he did well. Uh, he's made some adjustments um, that I think uh, if you find an article written by Joe Doyle on Lookout Landing, I think he highlights them well. But essentially, his mm-hmm. um, he's not chasing as much. He's not missing as much in the zone as he was in the past. So big on Lewis and uh, Arosa Reina, man, I loved him in the Cardinals system. I was so sad to see them let him go. <laughs> um, but he's just, he's fun. Um, you know, if you, if you look up videos of him on Twitter, you're going to see an infield triple from him in the minors. Like he's just a fun player. <laughs> he does it defensively. He'll do it offensively. And uh, I like Arosa Reina provided that, the Tampa Bay Rays don't Tampa Bay raise yeah. him and he gets playing time. Uh, yeah. Uh, when it comes to Lewis, um, I'm a, I'm a major fan. Um, mm. um, I, I really, honestly, I wasn't buying in this year. I like, I needed to see more and, uh, I saw all I needed to see. So I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, and then when it came to, um, Azarena, um, I, I told, I, I, again, I was upset that the Cardinals traded him away. Cause I was mm. like, I, I, you know, I kept like uh, texting people. I'm like, why is the Cardinals like not bringing this guy up? Like he's like really good. Um, but I'm afraid Tampa is going to Tampa. And as much as I hate it, I just, I, I am afraid of Tampa guys and I'm afraid of Colorado guys. I just can't do it. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I own both Lewis and Arazarena in an, or excuse me, just Arazarena in an AL only dynasty league. I traded him. 
right when he got hot and I'm like starting to be a little bit nervous about it because of how good he finished the season out. Uh, I traded him in VR for Frankie Montes and Riley green and I was not contending. And so I felt like getting a guy like green was important for me. Uh, so I still feel pretty good about it, but Arasarania has been so, so good uh, the rest of the season and into the playoffs. And he's a guy that I'm really excited about. Lewis, obviously I, I love, I adore him. I think, Mariners fans are, are overhyping him too much because most sports fans do that about their favorite young players, but he's going to be really, really good. I'm really excited about him for sure. And yeah. if a Rosarana teaches you anything, it's that if the Cardinals trade an outfielder, keep an eye on him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, a Rosarana, Mercado, um, other names that are escaping me, but they've just traded so many outfielders who are so productive right now. True. Well, we are going to be back later this week with an episode about all of the pitchers who debuted this season. Uh, Maybe we won't go two hours. Maybe we will. I don't know. Uh, We have a lot of thoughts uh, on pitchers, obviously, uh, for a site called PitcherList. That makes sense for us. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining. I'm really excited to talk to you guys again soon about pitchers.